0: Welcome to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina, where our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to find the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, if you we're here when we went through the series of Esther, or excuse me, of Ezra. Uh, just find Ezra again and just keep turning. Nehemiah is the very next book in the Bible to Ezra. This morning, I want to begin a new sermon series as we walk verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. The title that I have given this series is Against All Odds. And we'll go through this series. this narrative of Nehemiah verse by verse over the next several months. But Nehemiah will always be associated with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He took on a tremendous project and saw it all the way through to its end. We're going to discover he's a great leader. He's a godly man. And as we read the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah only spans about 12 years But there is a tremendous amount that gets accomplished for the glory of God during these 12 years. As we walk through this series, I believe we'll be encouraged by Nehemiah's willingness to press forward. Nehemiah was not satisfied to just allow the status quo. He was gonna push forward for the glory of God. And in the face of great opposition, he and the people of God completed the job, built the wall, And I would say they finished that great project against all odds. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the oldest transcripts were actually one book together because they fit so well together. And let me give you just a review, if you will, before we come to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The people of God, you will remember, have gone into the promised land. Joshua led them into the promised land and God had ordained the role of the prophet. And the people of God decided that was not good enough for them, but they wanted a king like all the other nations. And Samuel went to the Lord and said, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, so anoint a king over the people. And we know that the people of God anointed Saul to be king. After Saul's 10 years king, David came on the scene. After David came Solomon. And after Solomon's reign, there came a civil war. And the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom. The capital of the northern kingdom, Israel, was Samaria. And then you had the southern kingdom of Judah. And the southern kingdom's capital was Jerusalem. The northern kingdom had been... Overtaken by the Assyrians because of their great sin and God judged them because of their sin and in 586 B.C Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in to the southern kingdom of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem and Absolutely destroyed the city. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple They took down the walls and they left the city of Jerusalem in complete ruin They then took the best and the brightest in Jerusalem and all of the people and took them into Babylonian captivity. And for some 70 years, they are in Babylonian captivity. Now, there's a few things that happened during Babylonian captivity that are pretty cool. The story of Daniel happens during the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take place during Babylonian captivity. The story of Esther and Mordecai takes place during the Babylonian captivity. So God was still moving, although they had been taken captive in Babylon. If you read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a prophet in the place of Babylon calling out to God's people to turn and return to the one true God. After Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the prophets told the people of Judah, return to the one true God, they would not, the Babylonians came in and decimated Israel or decimated Jerusalem. The temple lay in ruin and the walls lay in ruin. That's when we picked up in Ezra. The Babylonian empire had fallen The Persians came in and there was a new king in town by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus goes to the people of God and says, hey, if you wanna go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, go ahead. And so there was a first wave of Jews that came back into Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel. It's in Ezra chapters one through six. And they rebuilt the altar and they rebuilt the temple. There's a second wave of Jews that come back to Jerusalem to complete the job, and it is led by Ezra. While Zerubbabel did the rebuilding, Ezra brought revival and restoration to the people. The people have now been in Jerusalem for some 90 years. They have rebuilt the temple, but the walls still lay in ruin and the people of God were in a desperate situation these walls were an important part of having a city in those days they were desperate they were disorganized and they were defenseless but what we're going to read this morning is that God had a man and God had a plan and that man's name is Nehemiah now I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the first service inevitably as we walk through the book of nehemiah i am going to call him jeremiah and it will not and it will be completely on accident so then the prayer group this morning i told them that and here's what they said they said well pastor every time you say nehemiah we're going to say bullfrog and that way We'll be able to alert you that you said the wrong name and you will know that we are paying attention. So if I say, because we all know Jeremiah's a bullfrog, right? (laughs) He's a good friend of mine. (laughs) That is so bad. Um, So if I say Jeremiah, you say? All right. Let's stand together and read Nehemiah chapter 1. You say, Pastor, it's 1114 and you're just now reading your text. I know. I'm as worried about it as you are right now. <laughs> the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hecaliah, came to pass in the month of Chisleu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace that I, one of my brethren, came and he and certain men of Judah. So Nehemiah's brother shows up there in Persia where Nehemiah is. And Nehemiah says, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So Nehemiah's brother comes in. He says, man, tell me how everybody's doing. Tell me how the city is doing. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, now as we walk through this text, speak to us. Help us to not be concerned about the person on the, left or the right of us, the person in front of us or behind us, but Lord, speak to us. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And Lord, you do the work that only you can do in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I often try to find application for this passage so that we might walk away with some sort of challenge today, but... As I look back over our own fellowship, I see some similarities to what Jerusalem has been through. A once divided nation has now come together. Once they came together and unity was the theme of their relationships, they completed a great project in the temple. And after they completed the great project of construction of the temple, they had more to do. We too were once a divided people. God has brought us together and God has allowed us to complete a great project inside the building in which you sit, but there is more to do. And I believe in time, we will look back and we will be grateful that we followed what God's plan for the future of our fellowship is. In the day of Nehemiah, he was the man for the task at hand and it was time to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you're taking notes, I see first of all, the person of service. The person of service. What do we know about Nehemiah? Well, in my introduction, I said, we know he was a godly man, a man of great character, a man who was an absolutely incredible leader. Notice two things with me about the person of service. Number one, his occupation. While Zerubbabel was a priest and Ezra was a scribe, we don't really learn what Nehemiah's occupation is until chapter 1 and verse 11. And the very last sentence in verse 11 says this For I was the king's cupbearer. It's impossible really to know all that came along with his responsibility as the cupbearer to the king. This Persian king was like most kings of that day, they were paranoid. And they were paranoid that someone would come along and assassinate them. And so they would appoint a cup bearer. And what the cup bearer would do is he was almost like a taster of the food. And so the cup bearer would eat the food to ensure that it was not poisoned, to ensure that it was okay for the king to eat. That would make Nehemiah very tight with the king. Some would say he was a very close confidant to the king, and even others suggest that the cupbearer often even served as an advisor to the king. He was a protector of the king and someone that would have been completely trusted by the king. Some have even said that maybe he was a top official in Shushan. That's his occupation. Secondly, notice his location. In the last part of verse 1 it says he was in Shushan the palace. Now Nehemiah tells us that it's the month of Chisleu, which would have been likely December and he says I was in Shushan. Why is that a significant thing? Well, it was the palace that the king would go stay in during the winter time. So Nehemiah is in a position of influence He is in a place of influence. I wonder how he got there. There's a large project that needs to be done that Nehemiah yet knows nothing about. And here he is in a position to have influence with the king. I would suggest to you that a sovereign God has put him in that place for that time. Because he had a plan that he would use Nehemiah to accomplish for God's glory. I would suggest to you there's a hand working behind the headlines that is writing a story for Nehemiah that Nehemiah yet didn't know anything about. I'm just a cup bearer. Some of you today, you think, oh, I just work at the office. I just work at the gas company, right? I just work at the manufacturing facility. I just work at, accounting. I just work at the bank. I just work at such and such. Listen to me. God's got you there for a specific purpose. He has you in that place and in that position for a purpose. So don't miss out on that. Nehemiah could have said, man, I'm just a cupbearer. What can I do? You, you might say, I'm just, I just turn wrenches for a living. What do I do? God's got you there for a reason, for his glory. There's a, there's a work he has for you to accomplish for his So discover why he has you there and then allow him to use you in a mighty way. Nehemiah is going to have a burden for these people. It would have been easy to just stay in his cushy job, right? And made a good living. It would have been easy to just stay there. But this morning, the title of this message is Selected for Service. And Nehemiah was selected for service. And those of you that have been saved by God's grace that sit inside this worship center this morning, hear me, God did not save you to sit. God saved you to serve. And we're all candidates to be used of God. Find the place of service where he has you or consider where he has you already and discover what his will for you there is. There's the person of service. See, God always has a man, and God always has a plan. And Nehemiah was the man, and building was the plan. So there's the person of service, but then there's the probing of the situation. Nehemiah's brother shows up, and Nehemiah asks his brother a couple of questions. Nehemiah says, how are things going with the Jews, and how are things going in Jerusalem? It's a two-fold question. Number one, he asked about the Jews. Specifically, he was asking about those that had returned from Babylonian captivity. Look in the middle part of verse two. He says, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity. He says, how's everybody doing? The ones that came out of Babylonian captivity and made their way there into Jerusalem. how, How are they doing? He cared about his people. And he's inquiring because he's a man of genuine concern. Not only did he care about his people, he cared about the place of Jerusalem. So he asked about the Jews, but then he asked about Jerusalem. In the last part of verse one, it says, and concerning Jerusalem. He was interested in the city itself because Jerusalem was the city of cities as far as the Israelite people were concerned. I mean, David fought and won the city. Solomon constructed a temple for Jerusalem and they became a great city of prominence. And this was a very important place to the Jew, Jerusalem was. In Psalm 137 and verse five, it says, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. And so right here in Nehemiah, some centuries ago, Nehemiah asks a question of ultimate importance. How are the Jews doing What's going on in Jerusalem? Now, that question is hundreds of years old, Brother Jordan, but that question is just as relevant today as it was in the days of Nehemiah. You see, we should have the same interest because those people in that place are of great importance to the Lord Jesus. The Jewish people have a great future. Jerusalem has the greatest future of any city in the world. You say, wait a minute, pastor. Jerusalem has the greatest future of any city in the world? You better believe it. Listen to what Zechariah said. You see, Jerusalem's gonna be the world headquarters when Jesus returns. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse four, it says, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave into the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, and there shall be a great valley. Half the mountain shall remove toward the north, half of it towards the south. You say, what are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you this, Jesus is coming. And he's coming in the rapture where he's coming to the clouds. And we that are here, the dead in Christ are gonna rise first and then those which are alive shall be caught up to be with him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're getting out of here, amen? And then there's gonna be the seven-year tribulation period here on earth. And at the end of that seven-year tribulation period is what's called the second coming. And Jesus Christ is coming. And guess who's coming with him? Me and you, amen? He's gonna turn around. He's gonna say, mount up. We're gonna get on white horses. You say, I can't ride a horse. Oh, you will that day. You'll ride a horse that day. It'll be the greatest horse ride you've ever had. And listen, he'll make his way all the way down to the Mount of Olives. He's going to stomp his foot right there on the Mount of Olives, and the Bible tells us it's going to split in two. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is going to make his way across the Kidron Valley. Listen to me. He's going to kick open the eastern gate and ascend the Temple Mount. He's going to sit down on Father David's stone right here in Jerusalem, and he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. He'll rule. He'll reign. All will be well because there'll be no corruption inside the government. It'll all be good because Jesus Christ will be on the throne. He'll be on the throne forever and forever and forever. <laughs> Jerusalem matters. And Nehemiah so tell me about the Jews. Tell me about Jerusalem. And those things are just as relevant today as they ever have been. There's the person of service. Y'all are getting the cliff notes. There's the probing of the situation. Thirdly, there's the problems of society. Now Nehemiah has asked a question in verse two, right? He said, how are the Jews? And how's it going in Jerusalem? And the answer to that question comes in verse three. They said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity or in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. The answer to Nehemiah's question comes and it is not good. The Jews are in great affliction and reproach. Jerusalem, the walls are broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And the people of God and the place of God are both in great distress. The walls of the city were broken down, which made them an easy target for their enemies. It was a source of great discouragement and despondency for God's people because these walls were important. And the fact that they laid in ruin was a sign that they had been distracted and they were in a state of disunity. And here's the problem. They've been here for almost 80 years. And those walls are still laying there. So here's what I suggest to you has happened. They just got used to it. They saw those walls, and maybe for the first few years it bothered them. And now they've just come numb to the fact that the walls of the city lay in ruin. There were a couple of times that they made an effort, but their effort was futile. And now they've just gotten used to it. Anthony Lloyd was a war correspondent during the war in Bosnia. And he talked about how easy it was to become desensitized to inhumanity. He made this statement At first, the brutal mutilation of the people stuck in my mind for days. But eventually, you lose count of the number of dead that you have seen, and you are no longer as sensitive. You see, that's where the Jews were and that's where Jerusalem was. They knew it was a problem. They knew that the walls needed to be rebuilt, but they just became numb to the seriousness of the problem. You see, we've allowed the same thing to happen in this country. We have in many ways become used to, even inside of the church, of the appalling spiritual and moral decline that is all around us. It's as if we've become neutralized to watching a society hurl headlong towards hell as fast as it can. Who would have ever dreamed we would see the problems in society that we see today? And what we need are some Nehemiahs, some wall builders that said, Listen, in the, in the position that I have, Lord, use me for your glory. We need some wall builders to answer the call to. Allow God to use you right where you are. And some walls need to be rebuilt. The walls of biblical morality need to be rebuilt. There are absolute truths. You say, what are they? They're found right here in the word of God. Things that we are questioning today, we have never questioned in the history of this country. There, There is absolute truth. You say, what is it? It's right here in the Word of God. The wall of biblical morality needs to be rebuilt. The wall of the family needs to be rebuilt. Our churches are in a mess because our families are in a mess. Our families are in a mess. This ain't a Father's Day sermon, but put your seatbelt on, boys. Our families are in a mess because our daddies are in a mess. Our husbands are in a mess. We haven't led like we know we're supposed to lead inside of our homes. We haven't led the way we're supposed to lead our wives. We haven't led the way we're supposed to lead with our children. And we wonder why we are in a mess that we're in. The, The walls of the family need to be rebuilt. We got a mess on our hands in this country, but God didn't call me to fix the country. God called me to just preach the canon. He'll do the rest, amen? I'd say there's another wall needs to be rebuilt. How about the wall of common sense? That'd be a good wall for us to rebuild, man. Just just common sense. Sitting on the inside of the church. We look at society and we see the craziness of this culture. And it's easy for us to get all sideways about all the immorality and sickening things that we see going on in society. It's easy for us, isn't it? But sometimes we can see it and just get used to it. But let me tell you what is easier to get used to. Lean in and listen here. Let me tell you what it's easier for us to get used to. It's easier for us to get used to that pet sin we got. It's easy for us to get used to our sin while we cast stones at others' sin. And the walls lay in ruin in our own life, and we gotten used to it. That pet sin, nobody knows anything about. Let me, let me say to you, Jesus knows all about it. You're trying to keep all that mess hid. You want to make sure nobody finds out about this or that or this or that. And you've become desensitized to it. And you play with sin long enough, you, you become desensitized to it, and it ain't as big a deal as it once was. But I pray the Holy Spirit of God was put his finger on that today. And you would see your need to start rebuilding some walls in your life. One commentator I was reading about said, we need to build a wall of the Word of God around our hearts. And sometimes that wall gets taken down. And that's when we allow craziness to enter our own lives. And we get desensitized to it even in our own lives. We need to build the walls of the Word back inside of our own lives You see, you've been selected for service if you're saved. But you'll not be effective in service with undealt with, unrepented of sin in your own life. So today, would you be willing to rebuild the walls of the word in your own life? Oh yeah, we're gonna pray for the culture. We're gonna pray for the craziness that is happening around us and pray God would move in a mighty way through our leaders. But I pray that inside the church, God, you build the wall of the word back inside of our own hearts and help us to not stay desensitized to the sinfulness that's in our own life. There's the person of service, the probing of the situation. There's the problem of society and then there's the prayer of the saint. Once Nehemiah hears about the mess, that Jerusalem is in. Notice what he does in verse four. It says, it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you wept over the sins of society? I mean, you truly wept over what's happening around the world. We see uh, sinlessness or sinfulness abounding. And lostness is all around us. When's the last time it moved us to tears? Second question. We evaluate society and it should move us to tears. But how about when we evaluate self? When's the last time you wept over the sinfulness in your own life? I'm talking about sins of commission and sins of omission. I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit of God puts his finger on that that needs to be dealt with in your own life, and you see it, and tears begin to flow. Maybe for some of you, it's been a long time since God squeezed your heart and juice came out of your eyes. Maybe today he's saying, today's the day to deal with this. You've been playing around with this long enough. This sin that you're trying to hide from your family, this sin you're trying to hide from your friends, the sin you're even trying to hide from God, he's putting his finger on it at this moment. And today's the day to deal with it. And the greatest way to deal with it is the same way that Nehemiah does. He wept. He fasted and he prayed. It was a prayer of distress. Some of you find yourself in a place of distress and cry out to God in your place of distress. That's what he longs to do. He longs to hear from you. It was a a prayer of desperation. God, if you don't do it, for this invitation, I'm not asking us to fall on our face before God for the culture. I'm asking us to fall on our face before God for the church. Because if the church is who the church is supposed to be, we'll make an impact in the culture. And I'm not speaking of the church corporately. I'm talking about the church individually. You and I need to find a place of prayer and a prayer of desperation and say, Lord, here it is. Lord, help me build the wall of the Word in my own soul, Lord, that I not just get used to the desolation that is inside of my soul. It's destroying me. It's destroying my friendships. It's destroying my family. It's a prayer of distress. A prayer of desperation. But listen to me. It's a prayer of dependence. (laughs) Because Nehemiah can't do it by himself. You can't do it by yourself. I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven. He said, if you'll draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You may feel like you have messed it up worse than you've ever messed it up, but I got news for you. There's a God in heaven who is a God of a second chance, the God of a third chance, the God of a fourth chance. He'll cleanse you, wash you from all unrighteousness, set your foot on a solid rock, give you a brand new start today. But it begins... It begins with taking an honest inventory of self. We're great at taking an inventory of society. I'm I'm great at it. I can tell you all the problems. I watch Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. I watch them all. And I just stay mad when I watch that stuff. And I can easily tell you all the problems with society. But you know what my biggest problem is? Is the guy that looks at me in the mirror every single day. Don't you wanna be the follower of Jesus that you've been called to be? Hey guys, don't you wanna be the the husband God's called you to be? Don't you wanna be the daddy God's called you to be, the grandpa? Ladies, don't you wanna be the wife God's called you to be? The mom God's called you to be? The follower that God's called you to be? Don't you want to be that? Let's do an honest evaluation of self and leave society out of it for a moment. And say, God, rebuild the wall of the word in my own soul. Don't let me get desensitized to the sin that's in my own life. since since God wants to do something in this place this morning if you'll be obedient let him put his finger on it and when he does deal with it as we stand to our feet if you're here today you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life you don't know heaven as your home I'm going to ask you to come Put your hand in mine and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I'd love to show you from the Word of God how you could be saved by God's amazing grace. But sir, ma'am, young person, let's get real before a holy God this morning. Let's get real before a holy God. And if He's not already put His finger on what it is in your life that you need to deal with, ask Him to put His finger on it. And when He does, deal with it. You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.